I've learnt that actually the notion of purpose is important and to believe it and to wake up every day and to actually act upon it, it's very powerful. Hi, it's Holly Ransom here. Welcome one and all to Coffee Pods, Fuel Your Difference, a podcast for the change makers and the game changers. This podcast is built around a simple hypothesis. How long does it take to learn from someone's lifetime of experience? Coffee. So in the time it takes us to share a cup of coffee with our guests or for you to enjoy one as you listen along, we're going to tap into the lifetime of experience of some truly remarkable people who've driven significant change. I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. And be it putting an audacious idea into action, shifting a team culture, or even a country's for that matter, or using their influence to drive progress, all our guests have powerful insights, pragmatic tips, and passionate calls to action that can help each of us to fuel the positive difference we're all working to create in our lives, organisations, and communities. Today's guest is Russell Howcroft, an Australian businessman and media personality best known as a panellist on ABC's The Gruen Transfer. He's a former national CEO of advertising agency George Patterson, served as executive general manager of Network 10, and currently heads up PwC's chief marketing office. Russell features regularly on all sorts of television and radio programs. He is a former Melbourne Demons board member and currently chairs the Australian Film Television Radio School. In this coffee pod, we really get to the heart of what makes a good idea. How is it that you communicate effectively in a really noisy world and what can we do to cultivate creativity? Without further ado, here's the ad man himself, Russell Howcroft. Russell Halcroft, thank you so much for joining us on Coffee Pods. I'm thrilled to have you here. Cheers, Holly. Double nice to be here. Double in hand. Yeah, great. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to kick off by asking first, what got you into the advertising game? What was the lure? Well, I was told that I was going to go and have a week's work experience at an advertising agency. So my father, who late in life actually worked in ads, mm-hmm. he, um, he organised for me to have a week's work experience at McCann Erickson in about 1986. 87, late, late 86, and at the end of the week they said, do you want to stay? So I was offered a job, and wow. yeah, offered a job on the Friday, I was still doing my degree, so I actually finished, I worked full-time and finished my degree full-time as well, um, and look, I just felt, I actually did genuinely feel immediately at home, and, and I would absolutely credit my father, my late father, with just knowing what his son was like, right? Mm. So he would have, he did some time at an agency um, and he would have said to himself, I'm sure, uh, this is an environment I can see my son enjoying. And so, you know, I have to give him all the credit for recognising what may be my personality and, you know, what I can do, what I can't do, I suppose, more what I couldn't do. Because <laughs> there's the thing around advertising people, but like, what would you do if you didn't do advertising? It's like, uh, I'm not entirely sure, you know, because... <laughs> I think we've it, ever done. Yeah. yeah, I think it suits certain styles of people, right? You know, you go to, um, I often go to the Cannes Festival, which is, you know, every year, which is, you know, the world of advertising arrives. Yeah, yeah there's like 15,000 people there. And I, I would say that pretty much 15,000 people to a person are exactly the same. They're wow, just, really? Yeah. doesn't matter whether they're Japanese, South American, from Sydney or from wherever, Singapore, they're ad people. And Categorise they, an ad person for me. What do we mean? They're short. <laughs> yeah, they tend to... <laughs> the male ones are short. Uh, you know, the female ones are very feisty. They tend to be very, very strong women, do well in um, in the ad world and smart, obviously. And, you know, and the men, yeah, they do tend to be short. It's actually, you know, I, I say this... It's actually true, right? But there's... <laughs> 
there's something weird about um, about creativity and height. I've never thought about that correlation. That's hilarious. I need to find out whether I'm making that up or not. <laughs> Picasso's very short. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Michelangelo's very short. Anyway, so just, yeah, they're, they're short and they're passionate. And, you know, for them, for advertising people, the idea is, is the day and mm. just having fun with it, pushing it and prodding it and trying hard to make it happen. And for advertising people, um, you know, like the crazy ones... An ad isn't really just an ad. You know, it's far more than that. It um, it's something that they have created, yep. and it comes from a really important place. And they want it to be beautiful. They want it to shine for the client. They want it to succeed for everyone that's involved in it. It's a very interesting. I think a lot of ad people are completely misunderstood. You know, they they may be seen to be self-centered and selfish. Mm. The ones that I know that have done well are actually the complete opposite of that. Yeah, right. they just they want to do well for those that are paying them the money. Mm. You know, they want the advertising to work. Um, they're passionate about the idea because they think the idea is right for the client. Mm. So that was the environment I walked into, and you know, um, and people swear in advertising, so I like that. And <laughs> you know, they say inappropriate things. I like yeah. that as well. You know, the barriers, um, those sort of social barriers aren't aren't quite as high in the ad world. Now, it can be criticised for that. I get it. Um, But when you're young, that's pretty good fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, you say there's a type that go into advertising. In terms of that creative output, because one of the conversations I have with with leaders a lot is that difficulty of refining idea to its true essence, being able to get it down to the bit that gets cut through so brilliantly in a wonderful piece of advertising. Is that a muscle that you build? Is that kind of being immersed in a creative environment and and just going through the ringer enough? I think definitely. You know, there are, uh, there will be people that are just naturally, you know, able to, they might be natural wordsmiths, you know, they're just able to just find a lovely turn of phrase Mm -hmm. over, you know, with the use of three words. They can do something unique and powerful. I mean, to have that skill is pretty interesting. Oh yeah. But you, you are. If you arrived as an eighteen-year-old with the ability to write a few words, uh, you're going to be a lot better at it when you're twenty-eight, and even better at thirty-eight. Um, in America, there are still. Um, you go to any agency there, there will be lots of old copywriters. You know, people in their well into their fifties, into their sixties. They respect the ability to write there a little better than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty rare that you'll get the old copywriter still rattling around an agency, which is a pity. They, they need to be there. Um, writing increasingly is something which is quite rare, you know, the yeah. ability to write. The ability to write. See, it, it, what I mean by that is writing that sells. Okay. That's what I mean by that. Yeah. yeah. So I, you see three words, you see five words, you read some copy, um, you read a tweet, whatever. It, it's the ability to write and get a action off the mm. back of the writing. That's a very rare skill. As I say to people, if you find someone like that, pay them more money than you think you should and lock <laughs> and lock them in a cupboard <laughs> because they're rare as. Okay. Yeah, they're very rare. So and um, and in this environment, I think in the in the fast in the fast word disposable environment that we're in now, mm-hmm. where you you'll have a thought and you'll think that that thought is really important and you want to get it out there into the world, uh, the old writer would have had that thought at the same speed, but then would have thought about it for the next three weeks and decided whether it was good enough or not. Yeah, so speed has really got in the way as well of just good quality writing that sells. 
It's, it's very interesting, Holly. I mean, when I started in the business, you would you would have three weeks to think about one idea. Okay. Yeah. So now you've probably got three hours, and that that would be you know generous. That's extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. So the the speed, the speed with which the demand, it's the speed that is demanded of the idea person. Yep. Um, it's a problem. It's a real problem. You need to be able to push back on it. Um, and again, that's where there's great tension, because the older you are, the more you want to push back on time, mm-hmm. and want more. But all that does is reinforce that you're old. <laughs> <laughs> You're not moving with the pace of yeah, the modern world. That's right. So you, the the old writer doesn't want to appear to need more time because they think that they need to act speedy. And so that's right. So they need to do an idea in three hours. And you know what? They probably can. But it's one of the really interesting tensions. Because I was going to ask you what, well, a couple of things on that, but creativity and how you actually create the space to have new ideas yeah. to generate um, the quality that's needed. And particularly in the tension you're talking about between output and creativity. What have you learned about how to encourage that in yourself and encourage that in your people? Well, I had a um, lovely agreement with maybe the one of the best creative people I've worked with, a bloke called Ben Coulson, and the agreement was, when in doubt, do the obvious. Okay. Because there, there does tend to be obvious ideas for whatever the problem might be, mm-hmm. and the industry, the advertising industry, always wants to resist the obvious but the obvious can sell mm-hmm. so um, and why why does the obvious sell it sells because there's preconceptions in the mind of the consumer that and all you're doing is just putting a light to the preconceptions yeah. so the most recent example of that would be the crocodile dundee tourism australia mm-hmm. that is an obvious solution yeah now that would have been that's that's potentially in someone's drawer for the last 30 years yeah as an idea it's an obvious idea but what we do, of course, is we're always trying to pursue something new, something different, um, and so everyone's trying to always come up with, you know, the creative thought. Well, you know what? Sometimes the obvious one's the, the way to go. So I suppose the 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 first thing that you need to do, I think, when they're when confronted with a problem, is just think, well, what's obvious? Mm-hmm. You know, what's easy? What's obvious? What's going to sell? Yeah. The Americans do it amazingly. You know, Super Bowl. Mm. They're quite happy to get a comedian, get a comedian to be funny. Um, and talk about a chocolate bar. Right? That's the, there's nothing particularly clever about getting Danny DeVito to be a red M M&M. and M. There right. isn't really, right? It's it's actually advertising 101. But you make it in such a way that it's funny and it's attractive. It's got a reverence. You know, there's great passion. There's energy. So how you make it p- plays a role as well. Mm-hmm. But it's an obvious idea. Yeah? So. I think don't be afraid to do the obvious, Holly, would be my, I suppose, my conclusion. Mm-hmm. And then if something else comes around, well, that's good as well. But would you say bear in mind they're hard to sell. People are, are born creative or is creativity something that you can work at and get better at? And how do you do that if you can? Well, as we know, everyone's born creative um, because all children, you know, demonstrate, you know, forms of... Point. Yeah, they, everyone. And... And what happens is maybe it's our school system more than anything. Our school system really does. No, it doesn't really um, applaud or encourage what beyond about grade two. Yeah. So that I think is a serious, you know, it's a serious problem. And as we think about work, and as work progresses and AI progresses, and as you know, more and more machines will do more and more stuff that maybe you know, mathematically inclined people, you know, engineer people did in the past, creativity is going to play a really important role. Mm. 
the ability to communicate is going to play a really important role. And I'm not very happy with the education system, Holly. I can tell. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, I think that there's, uh, you know, I have a son, my middle child. He's a very clever, very clever boy. Um, He can do things that very few people can do. Uh, but did he do well in the VCE? Not a not a chance, right? Because mm. he's a musician, he's an artist, he can make film, he can you know he can pretty much turn his mind to anything creative. The, the the unfortunate thing around all that is that he'll leave school thinking that he hasn't got it. He's not smart. Yeah. Yeah. But those of us that know him know that he is. Mm. But he it's it's a real. I think there's real tension there around what is the right. What is the right way to go about teaching creativity or encouraging it uh, for the future? Huge changes, I think, are required. I don't know enough about it. This is just me observing. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly I haven't got a you know PhD in this thing. I just look at it yeah. and um, worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> you know, even writing. People don't even know how to write, you know. It's amazing. You, do, you have to do very little of it nowadays. Yeah. You yeah. know, when I, um, I'll never forget when I arrived um, at my desk my first day of my London job and on my on the desk was a memo and the memo was the all-staff memo, which of course was paper form, all-staff memo that was about me and I had arrived at this agency. You know, so it's dear everyone. Welcome. Welcome to la la la. Anyway, it was probably 12 sentences it was the most fabulous bit of writing. It was unbelievable writing, an internal memo that went around this London agency. Mm. So at that point, I said to myself, well, you're going to have to get an act, yeah? Because mm. there was no way that I was capable of writing something like just that memo. So then I reflected on, well, my education, okay, so, you know, my parents paid for me to go to school. You then go to university, do tertiary, you have a degree, and yet there's no way you can write a memo like that. Yeah. So that's a problem, right? Yeah. Really, that doesn't mean you haven't got the ability to write it. You just haven't. That's not the culture around the importance of words, the importance of what you was know, valued. Yeah, and being persuasive with your words. I mean, seriously, there's a lot to do, Holly. <laughs> I was going to ask you. You mentioned the importance of communication and how critical that will continue to be, if not more so in the future. Mm. What do you think's changed over the course of your career about communication, and what's what's constant as ever? What's constant is that people love ideas yeah, and that ideas absolutely stick mm-hmm. and they stick fast, actually. You know, like if you get them right, you know, if I say to you, gorilla, uh, purple silk background behind drums, um, you know, Phil Collins. <laughs> Cadbury hat? Cadbury. <laughs> right. So it's amazing. It's probably eight years old, that thing. Yeah. So, you know, just the, the power of a simple idea has not changed one bit. Uh, and people still, they want to connect. Um, they still, there's still human truths about us. Mm. There's um, there's stuff that goes on in society that is true, which will change maybe the tone that you'll use. But in the end, if you can actually nail, you know, a bit of a cultural truth and a human truth, then you'll be successful. So I don't think any of that's changed. What's changed? We were talking about before. Speeds changed. Mm. The platforms that are be, that are used, uh, changing. Uh, but then let's just think about outdoor, for example. Yeah? So an outdoor ad. So you're driving down the freeway and there you are confronted with a billboard. Those billboards existed in 1920, 1960, 1990. They're the same size, same shape, and same opportunity. Mm-hmm. Let's just rewind the clock. So in about, um, I'm going to say 1996, 97, maybe a bit later, 
There was an ad for TAC. It was a Christmas time, and it was three blokes in a cab, and the headline was Three Wise Men. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So that's good advertising. And there's no reason why that can't be done right now. Yeah? Billboard advertising is the purest form. Yeah. So there it is. You've got that, that portrait shape. You've got the opportunity to hit people between the eyes. Three words, three wise men. Fabulous. Mm. Now, I go past billboards every single day and I look at them every single day and every single day I'm disappointed. Mm. Yeah? The, the craft of getting these things right, has, has, it hasn't been lost. People know how to do it. Unfortunately, people don't know how to buy it. Yeah, so, okay. yeah, because there's two people in the advertising transaction, the seller, idea, creator, mm-hmm. and the buyer, the person whose money you need to make the ad, right? Sure. And the buyers, uh, I, they, they're just reluctant to buy good work. I don't think they know what good work is, actually. I was going to say, why would they be reluctant to buy it if they don't know what it is? I don't think so. And what, what you know, I don't want to say what used to happen because it's boring, but what, what used to happen is that agencies, because agencies were substantial businesses mm. and they had time. And because they had time, they were highly profitable, they had time, lots of people, they spent a lot of time helping clients, like in effect, well, they trained clients. Yeah, they would do seminars and sessions around this is what good advertising looks like, this is what bad advertising look like, looks like. And so they would, yeah, give people a hand. This is good, this is not so good. <laughs> Can we please do good? There'd be very few agencies doing that now. They haven't got the time, you know? They've got a deadline in three hours. So is there sort of a new challenge around almost selling the idea to the person that you're seeking to get to buy it? Like, is, is that a piece that needs to get stronger? Well, selling is the most important part of it because the, the ad, I mean, this is the bit that I enjoy the most, you yeah. know? So, I mean, I, as I say, I, I consider myself B-grade creative person, but I'm not about, I'm about selling ideas, yeah? And that, that, that's the challenge, really, mm. you know? How do you persuade a client that that idea is going, that awesome idea is going to do more for their business than any of the other ideas? That's a really interesting challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've got to find the right words and find the right, you know, persuasive tactics. So I was going to say, talk us through, because this is something that comes up with leaders and CEOs quite a bit. They'll say, you know, we're doing something new in the business, but we're really struggling to sell the change through the company, get it cascading down, or explain to our customers why we're doing it differently now. What are some of the the key pillars that when you're preparing for something like that, you you think through Mm -hmm. or that you make sure are factored in? Well, the the application of creativity has to be the first thing, yeah? So internal comms in the main is dull. Very. And there's no reason in the world why it should be dull. Yeah, the application of creativity is just it, it works whether it's internal, whether it's external. So first and foremost is a desire to be creative. Mm-hmm. You know, so even if you're an insurance business or a banking business, and you think that you're in a boring business, you know, it's, it's just nonsense. All business is exciting, yeah, and all business provides an opportunity to you know be creative and be interesting. So the first step is deciding that you want to be creative. Yeah. Second step is you've got to get outsiders to help you. There's not a chance in hell that anyone internally can do something that's good enough. Okay. Not possible. Absolutely not possible. Because they're just constrained by all the internal cultures. Mm. And there's very, very, very few cultures. Maybe I shouldn't say impossible. I should say unlikely. Yeah. There are very few cultures that every single day are looking for new ideas and new ways to express themselves and... Mm-hmm. Very few cultures like that. 
So you need to get outsiders to come and have a look. I mean, like like everyone, you know, you need a therapist to tell you, you know, it's, that's really what that is. Um, so get someone from the outside. And then I would then say, um, say to the outsider, say to the expert, just give us your best shot and I'll see you in two weeks. Yeah? So I don't want to have five ideas. I don't want to have scraps of paper, t- tissue sessions. Have you ever been in a tissue session? No, what's a tissue session? A tissue session is an absolute disgrace. This is when the client insists that the creative person comes down and shows them the shape of ideas. Here's idea one and here's two and here's three in order to try and be involved in the process. Right. It actually lets the creative person off the hook. Okay. Yeah? Don't do that. Say, look, why don't you just come and show me the one idea in two weeks that you think's awesome? And then if I think it's awesome, we'll do it. Yeah, so all this horrendous time-wasting nonsense that goes on. <laughs> it's true, right? so bad. And then, of course, you need to know, okay, so is this going to work? And there's a very simple Venn diagram. You know, it's the, it's the seller, the buyer, the user. So, you know, the Venn diagram, so the seller, what is it about this idea that the seller thinks is, why do they think that it's right? Yep. What the buyer, so what is it, what does the buyer want? Why do they think it's right? The consumer, the user of the idea, what are they looking to, to use? And if you just sort of think about it in that way, that sweet spot in there, of course, is when everyone's satisfied. Mm-hmm. It's not right for the buyer to not care if the seller isn't satisfied because then they're not going to get a good idea. So you have to have the seller satisfied, the buyer satisfied, and the user satisfied. Sounds easy. It's really hard to yeah, do. Yeah, well, right? I bet all those different sides have varying degrees of being good at considering it from the other perspectives. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, 100% right. Yeah. And so, yeah, good ad people um, recognise that it is about that diagram so it, it isn't just about the consumer liking the advertising because mm-hmm. they need the buyer of the advertising to think it's right mm-hmm. yeah, and to want to spend the money. Uh, and they need to think it's right as well. Otherwise, they're not being professional. So it's, it's a really interesting game that gets played. Um, but that's the sweet spot. Just in, you know, when you're in the business of selling ideas or indeed buying them, just think about the Venn diagram. And it's, it's very rare that a client says to the agency, do you want to make this? Yeah, so tell me why you want to make this. I'd push it back on them and get them to actually be honest. Mm. You know, actually, I really want to make this because I want to meet Danny DeVito and, you know, get him dressed up as a red M&M. <laughs> you know? And then the client would say, so do I. Let's do it. You know, just have a good, honest conversation. Yeah. They don't happen very often. I was going to ask about evaluating the ideas too and yeah. I definitely now that I know what tissue sessions mean <laughs> I've definitely been in a few where people are looking there and it's it's a line ball call and which one of three yeah. or five ideas is going to be better because they're really just slight deviations from one That's another right. as That's right. pure, opposed to purely like distinctual creative concepts yeah uh, the Venn diagram, I can imagine, is a component of how you evaluate an idea. Yeah. But how do you know you're on to a winner? Yeah, it's a really good question, uh, and the answer it just feels right isn't really <laughs> isn't really good enough, is it? Um, you, but it will feel right because you know the problem. Yeah, so you've thought about the problem at length. You've written down the problem in the form of a brief. You go to bed at night thinking about the problem. And I'm assuming that by that point, because I've seen some very verbose briefs, we're talking getting it to sort of a single clear statement yeah. as to what the problem is. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. So problem statements are always good. Yeah. Um, you know, actually uh, an articulation of the problem, that is as big a skill as the creative solution, yeah? So if you're able to do that, um, so if you're living and breathing the problem, yeah, the idea actually, it, there should be a instinctive reaction to it, mm-hmm. just simply because you have gone through the process of 
being worried about the idea, you know, or the problem, I should say. So as I say, not a good enough answer. Mm-hmm. Maybe a tingle as well. That's always a good thing. Just like, geez, I'd like to do this. That's always a good reaction. Mm-hmm. And then maybe there's some, then there's about, okay, so is this actually going to do what we think we need for the business? Now, in the end, when you're in the world of advertising, it's about selling. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So the, the world of branding, that gets overcooked a little bit. But then the world of tactical selling, that's get, that gets overcooked a lot. So you need the balance between, is this good for my brand? Am I building equity in the brand, mm-hmm. brand X that I'm working for? And am I going to sell stuff off the back of it as well? Yeah, so that that's the balance that you've got to try and find. When ideas go wrong, like I'm thinking sort of the Kendall Jenner, Pepsi commercial or yeah, things yeah. like that, they create more controversy than they do good brand equity for, mm. for what's going on. What's happened in the creative process there? Is well, that's a classic thoughts? one, that one. Well, that's a classic because that was done internally, you know, as I, ah, I was saying. I know that. Okay. Yeah. And you can, see, you can see how they got to that idea. It's like, okay, we need to try and do something, you know, epic, uh, we need to do something that um, soft drinks have got permission to do. They do have permission to do, you know, I'd like to teach the world to sing. They have permission to do that. And they've got, as a result of that, they've got permission to bring the world together. There's a long tradition of that, Coca-Cola more than Pepsi, but yeah. certainly there's a long tradition. Uh, so you can imagine on a whiteboard internally um, them getting excited about this whole notion. Uh, yeah, you've got to have outsiders. Yeah. So that's purely just enough perspectives at the table, you catch things like that. Yeah, yeah, you will. Yeah. And then you also then have to have honest conversations as well because what what also can happen is that a a production company, they'll just want the money. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Especially if the money's just coming straight out of Pepsi. It's not, you know, it isn't. There isn't an intermediary. Yeah. An agency. An agency who's protecting their reputation as much as they are building the reputation of the brand. That's an important dynamic. We probably shouldn't forget that dynamic. No, definitely not. <laughs> I wanted to apply your knowledge to campaigning for a moment. So when you've got sort of a, a single message or an outcome you're trying to achieve over a sustained period of time. So it might be social change, you know, a lot of the issues where we see almost momentum uh, decline with time because mm-hmm. people feel like the same ideas, maybe not getting the resonance, they've heard it all before, preaching to the already converted. Right. What do you think about shelf life of a good idea? And to what degree do you need to be sort of reinventing and um, and repositioning as part of a long-term campaign to keep the relevancy that you need? Right. It's really interesting because we've got to be – a brand will own an asset and that asset needs to be pursued forever. How you express the asset is the bit that can change. Okay. Now, I think that that's where we might get confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we think about um, – Coles and say Down Down. Mm-hmm. So Down Down is a, an amazing asset for Coles. Yeah, so that's a price asset. How they express it can change. You know, every six months, every twelve months, every eighteen months, every five years. Yeah, but what can happen is the desire to change, as in the change, the execution. What can happen is people walk away from the asset. So they get what I'm t- trying to say. Yeah, this happens all the time. A Mars a day helps you work, rest, and play. What an awesome line. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why don't they have that anymore? Uh, it's a desire to move. I don't, why move? Lowest prices are just the beginning, right? We all know who that is. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they tell us every single day. They're relentless, right? That's how you build an amazing brand, amazing asset of just consistent, 
relentless. We get bored internally, right? So the the client gets bored. And the agency probably gets bored. People get bored. They want to do something different. I tell you what, you do something different at your peril. VB is a good example. So VB, um, for a hard-earned thirst, they moved away from it for maybe eight years. They've gone back to it. Of course, of course, they should never have moved off it. Yeah. The only argument might be, well, you move off it so you can come back to it, and it might give you a bounce. You know, there might be a, an argument around that. Unless there's a material change and something going on in the ecosystem that yeah. might mean you need to shift it, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, but rarely. Okay. Uh, reluctantly. Yeah. Yeah, re- genuinely, because the product itself hasn't changed. Mm. Yeah, so the, it's still the same thing. So... You know, the packaging, you know, you'll tweak the packaging. You know, have a look at VB packaging from 15 years ago. It's different to what it is today, but it's still clearly the same yeah. family because you just give it a bit of an update or whatever, you know. So that's what I'm talking about. Um, you know, the advertising the advertising is more like electricity, i.e. you walk in, you turn it on, it's on all day. That's what it should be like. It, mm. doesn't, it doesn't have to be fireworks and um, sparklers. No. But I can imagine, as you were talking about, almost educating the stakeholders you're working with around that would be a huge part of that role yeah. because the need for new is becoming so mm. uh, omnipresent yeah. that you'd feel like you, if you haven't rocked up with five new completely different designs, you'd, you'd fail the brief. Yeah, that's right. I know. So the whole the whole notion of being relentlessly consistent mm. sounds really dull. Yeah. But that's what you should be. That's got huge power <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Of course it does. Think about football clubs. Yeah. Yeah. So the long-suffering D's fan. Yeah. Well, a football club. It's the they, Melbourne Footy Club. Same same jumper. The packaging's the same. Mm-hmm. Um, same song every time they win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we sing the same song. Um, the the everything about it is consistent. So that's how you build the loyalty and how you build the brand. You know. So you'll tweak it and you'll yep. try and shine it and make it polish it. But, you know, McDonald's is interesting. So McDonald's, the, the core anchors, you know, family, value, price, fresh. They, they don't change. You know, culture changes, so they'll shift. But the core of the business dun, 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 remains the same. Oh, what a feeling. That's your whole life, Holly, has been, oh, what a feeling. Mm. Why do they dominate? Because they're consistent. Yeah. Consistency is key. I, I, I'm absolutely convinced of it the older I get I'm absolutely convinced but of it. I like that approach you change the the format that you might wrap around it so yeah. the delivery model gets different you apply new techniques move to new platforms but yeah. you've still got the anchor the anchor has to be the same because um, yeah an anchor is probably a good word mm. yeah take it up and start drifting so yeah. it's it's yeah so yeah what are the what are the brand anchors might start using that cool <laughs> I wanted to ask you about PwC because one of the things that created a bit of a stir when you first started there is one of the first things you did is you decided to launch an internal newspaper. Yep. Which a lot of people went, hold on, here's, here's the guru and he's launching something that's a dead medium. What's yeah. he doing? Um, but I, I read a quote where you said sort of the, the hands of um, these mediums is, is in the owners of the assets yeah. themselves. Yeah. So they're only as good as the execution. Nothing yeah. has to die if it's no. done well enough. Yeah, that's right. And I wanted to unpack that a little bit with you. Well, well, I think if you're in the newspaper business and you have been for the last 100 years and you've got massive printed and printing machines and you've got lots of people to employ and you've got to get the thing out every single day, etc., etc., that's hard. Yeah. yeah so that legacy model's difficult. That, yeah. So I think this is, again, where I think maybe we get confused. The legacy model is difficult. That doesn't mean newspapers aren't a good medium. Yeah. It's just if you've been doing it for a long time, it's hard. It's harder now than it used to be. Mm-hmm. 
So there are two different things going on there. So that because the medium itself is a it's a beautiful medium, right? It's a incredibly powerful advertising medium. Mm. And so really, the press, the PwC newspaper, it's it's an it's an ad. Um, it's an ad for PwC, but it's wrapped up as a newspaper. Um, it's also a beautiful newspaper. It mm. was designed by the company you keep, great people. Um, and I found them because they did broadsheet. So remember when broadsheet launched? Yeah. So they launched as a newspaper, but really the newspaper was designed to sell the app. Mm-hmm. So that was really the thinking. You know, it's okay. So PwC is an amazing organisation. What it, what it is and what you think it is are two different things. You know? So you think it's accounting and yeah. it does all that. Of course, it is an amazing accounting firm. But it's also an incredible consultancy and advisory business, the fastest growing legal firm in the country. They get involved in all sorts of interesting transactions. You know, the largest solar farm in South Australia or in Australia, in fact, is all through PwC's, you know, assistance from the start to the finish of the project. Um, incredible place. Mm. So how do you tell people about that? Because yeah. telling people about it is important because we want to grow our business, so we need to advertise. So it seemed to be a actually just a simple. It actually seemed like an obvious, you know, do the obvious. Mm. Seemed like an obvious solution, and very, very wonderfully, PwC invested in the idea. You know, because we we use marketing funds to make that newspaper. So we're not relying on advertisers to make that newspaper profitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's a marketing it's a marketing exercise, mm. and we are we're not doing it every day. No, we're doing it irregularly sort of every seven weeks. But that internal, and I liked that it was irregular because mm. it almost disrupts, there's not an expectation that every Monday I'm getting an email in my inbox, which is the That's update, right. and people almost get in an autopilot rhythm where they automatically send it to trash. Yeah, that's right. they don't read it. Yeah. And I think internal comms is one of the, the biggest pull-your-hair-out challenges a lot of people are it's very difficult. facing. You know, people are increasingly working remotely. There's offices all over the world. How do you make sure that yeah. everyone's on the same page and, and got right. the core messages that you need to get across? That's right. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about firing up my old typewriter. Nice. And, well, you know, in the old days, um, if, the, if there was a memo, let's go, go back to the memo, an internal memo would be on um, pink paper mm-hmm. and it would, be, would have been typed up on an old-fashioned Olivetti and it would arrive on your desk and it would have an impact because it was done in a more interesting, creative way. Yeah. yeah? So what we do now, of course, is it's an emails and emails and email. And it, they're very, they, don't, they don't get consumed in the same way. Mm-hmm. They don't get remembered in the same way. Certainly I struggle to, you know, I struggle to make the email the core driver of my day. Yeah. Yeah. If I know it has to be, I actually I do have to print it out. I'm still in that. that I'm still that sort of person. Uh, but I have to have discussions with my team about emails. I have to have a conversation. You know, in order to get movement. I think there's sort of people just spitting emails around. I mean, what yeah, I, the person that's sitting next to them at the desk. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's just I, I find it pretty. You know, a lot. Of, I think a lot of what goes on now is just compliance. You know, mm. and the digital world offers a really, you know, a simple way for organisations to get you to comply. And it's all, I, you know, I get it, but it's hard. It's probably a segue to a question I want to ask you about: if you could banish any communication practice, you could take it from advertising, marketing, whatever you like. 
what would that be? What's your number one pet peeve that you see people doing? Well, it's actually the number one pet peeve is walking away from good ideas. Mm-hmm. So um, this has reminded me of the thing you bring when you're asked not to bring a thing, which is Cadbury favourites. <laughs> yeah, great. One of, one of the great lines, yep. actually. Uh, and they don't use it anymore. Tries, like, what? So now, I don't know, the line is Cadbury favourites, pick yours or something. It's like, well, hang on. The thing you bring when you're asked not to bring a thing. So guess what people did? They bought Cadbury favourites when, when they were asked not to bring anything, right? It was just, it's unbelievable campaign. Mm. So that's the pet peeve. When you've got something, stick to it. Yeah. Right? My God. It's like, what is it? It's probably greed. It's like there must be something out there that's going to get me more. It's probably, that's probably what's going on. And I get it, we've all got to grow, but wow. You know, walking away from really great stuff is a real problem. Cardinal sin. I reckon, yeah. I reckon. I, wanted, I know we talk about intergenerational issues a little bit. We've probably more talked about it from the equity or inequity side of things. Yeah. Communication-wise, do you think we overcook how different the generations are? Yes and no. Um, yes, in that a 23-year-old is going to love seeing the Cadbury Gorilla commercial just as much as the 53-year-old is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, great, ubiquitous, irreverent ideas. Doesn't matter. Right? Mm-hmm. Go, you know, I'm not that sort of... I'm not sort of entirely into all that generational stuff. I think, you know, you're more likely to find a 23-year-old, 33, 43, 53, 63-year-olds that have got the same interests... That's more interesting to me than going the other way. You know, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of 23... All 23-year-olds have got the same interests. That's just not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so going up the line rather than across the line, I think, is much more interesting. Having said all that, a tw- let's say 23-year-olds, they do have their own world and they have their own medium, uh, mediums, uh, their own language, and that is private. Yeah, so we, in a marketing sense, you, we have to acknowledge that that's the case. Mm-hmm. And, of course, work out how to infiltrate it and work out how to, you know, communicate. So it's probably both, yeah. I think that the tried-and-true methodology still stands up, but equally uh, I'd be daft to say that there isn't stuff going on, you know, that is, um, you know, unseen mm. but really powerful. And we also have to know, you know, in, a, in generational theory, you know, you're, you're sort of 20 people in their 20s, their pioneer generation, and pioneer generations with their own medium. So mm. they, they, you... Always coming out and doing it differently. Yeah, yeah. They, they will reshape the world to the shape that they want it to be in, you know. And today's 23-year-old will be 53 before they know it, <laughs> and they would have changed the world uh, to suit them, uh, and that is a good thing. Mm-hmm. There's no question in my mind that that's a good thing. And, um, you know, far more, you know, equality, all that, you know, clearly we're moving in the right direction around all those things. And that platform itself enables that to happen. Mm. And from my observation of a lot of ad agencies and, and creative teams too, there is great intergenerational diversity yeah. more often than not in yeah. the mix. Like there are a lot of young people that are getting cutting, cutting their teeth, but the span of perspectives I imagine come to the table on how to execute something yeah. would be more diverse than you typically see in a hierarchical... Yes, probably, probably. Uh, but I think in the idea world, the pressure to be young, groovy and new would get in the way of tried, true, and right. Yep. Mm. And so that is really important, just to think that one through. You know, I love outdoor. I was talking about outdoor before. I love outdoor, outdoor advertising in all its forms. Mm-hmm. You can't turn it off. You can't switch it. You know, you can't ignore it. It's in your face. And if it's as good as Three Wise Men, you remember it forever. So that is going to, have, that is going to be far more powerful 
than some you know social media post that's highly disposable. And the whole three-word slogan obsession that our politicians have mm. is that is that well held in theory? Is is that optimal sort of situation to get our messaging to for cut through? No, it's not optimal. But it, if you get it right, you know, I mean, the thing you to bring when you're asked not to bring yeah, a thing yeah. is what seven words. So no, it is. It, it's not. You must do three words, but just do it was pretty powerful. Yeah. So if you can nail it. Um, you know, it's a nice ambition mm-hmm. to get it into a, you know, as tight as that. But it isn't about being as tight as that, because what you'll end up doing in the main is something pretty lame. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, wanted to ask you two questions before we wrap up. One is, you've had an incredibly diverse career. Um, you've led advertising agencies. You've been, you know, head honcho at Channel Ten. Now in running CMO at PwC. For people that are sort of looking at your career and going, wow, how how do you have that sort of impact and that breadth of experience? Yeah. What's the best bit of advice you could give them around how you've charted your own career? Uh, that is a good question. Probably, well, no, I tell you, I've got advice which I think that I haven't done enough of. Okay. So have a mentor or mentors, but certainly a person that you trust and do what they say. Okay. So uh, a mentor will have your best interests at heart, like a true mentor. Mm-hmm. And wh- as a result, when they say, don't do this, do that, they're not saying it for fun. Yeah? And I think what happens in a lot of mentor relationships is it becomes a conversation about the individual. You know, I, I, I'm going to see my mentor today so I can talk about me. That, that's not how you... I don't think that's appropriate. I think that, well, appropriate. That's not, that's not optimal. The best thing would be, or is, I think, to have that mentor and to genuinely listen and to genuinely act on their advice. Because their advice will come from a place which is, don't make the same mistakes I made. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. So they have got experience and they have been through it and they do know the right way and the wrong way. And when they advise you, it's based on that. So have a good mentor and listen and act. And how important have they been in your career? They have been... Very important, yep. but if I could rewind the clock, I would have been firmer about who and what they who they were, and I would have been more regular in my interactions, and I would have listened more and acted more. I love that bit around firmer and who they are. Can I ask you to explain a little bit about what you're implying there? Uh, in that I've, I've got great I've got great friends, yep, and um, and great mentors, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't know that I would see them as that. Yeah, okay. so well, I suppose I would professionalise it more with yep. a small p. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Not very> crazy. <laughs> yeah, small p professionalise the mentor relationship. Yep. Um, and yes, and I, I'm pretty convinced that 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 that's a really important part of just doing well and progressing. And um, and you know, and you'll know who that mentor is, um, and they will reflect your ambition as well. Yeah, so you know, if you want to, if you want to be the prime minister, have a former prime minister as your mentor. Mm. But you know, if you want to be awesome at interior decorating, then find the person who's awesome at that. You get, yeah, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, alignment around what you're wanting to achieve, alignment around values. Um, you know, and then listen, and then as I say, act. Yeah, it's not just about a conversation. It should mm. be more than that. Yeah, I yeah. like that. Mm. Hustles on you to follow through and get it done. Yeah. Chase and all and, those sorts of And things. leave with action. Leave with leave with an action. Oh, yeah. I mean, my mentor, he, they said, I, I should be doing X. Did I do it? Yeah. 
my big belief is to don't come back around till you've done it. Like I'll yeah. never go back to my mentor till I've finished whatever they gave me to do. Right. Right. So you're onto it. Yeah. So I'm you're a huge believer in what you're talking about. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I yes, and as I say, I wish that I'd. I, I've had great mentors, really, but I reckon I could have listened a bit more. Okay. And the final thing I wanted to ask you, if you could leave the people listening today with a call to action, what would that be? So the, um, it's, in, it's interesting this. I'm at PwC now, and PwC has got the, a global purpose, which is build trust in society and solve important problems. And I've been there for a year now, and I've got to tell you, um, this is, uh, it's become fully ingrained in me. Wow. It's worked. It's absolutely worked. So I think the notion of actually, uh, you know, our purpose and being really and being true to it. So I, I genuinely go to, well, I go to work, but also on the weekends, this notion of solving important problems and, you know, building trust. I'm going, well, actually, yeah, that's what I'm trying. I'm going to try and do that. Not just me, obviously. PwC, the 7,000 staff, you mm-hmm. know, well, there's 250,000 around the world. If every one of those people actually was true to that purpose and they get up every day and that's what they're trying to do, then, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have a major impact. And so that, yeah, I, I think that that makes sense to me. And this is something I've learned, you know, you know, I'm 50 now, I'm 52. And I've learned, I've learned that actually the notion of purpose is important and to believe it and to wake up every day and to actually act upon it. It's very powerful. So, yeah. And I've been impressed that you say it's ingrained in you because you meet a lot of companies where it's a convenient line on the website That's right. or in the lobby. That's right. But what do you think has allowed you to feel so taken by it? Well, well, A, it's powerful. B, it works. But C, they are consistent and they're relentless around the messaging. Yeah? Yeah. And they literally, you will have a meeting, um, not every day, but often during the course of a week, and it's, okay, so what did we do today that you know, improve trust in society. What did we do today that solved important problems? Um, and they literally have value shares. They call it a value share. So when I arrived 12 months ago, I'm going, value share? Come on, what are you talking about? But now I go, yeah, I like that. Why not? Why not say, well, working with integrity is important. Holly did X, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's about practice, actually. Yeah. It's habit. repeat, repeat, repeat. And, yeah, make it habit, hardwire. You know, the, the notion of hardwiring, I think, is also really important, hardwire behaviour. You know, it's like, you know, some people say exercise, you know. Exercise is sporadic, <laughs> uh, but if you can hardwire exercise, that's a really important ambition, I, you know. Hardwire these things, and I reckon, you know, um, you'll go better as a result. So purpose and practice. I think so. Well done. Go, yeah, totally. I'm going to nick that too. <laughs> <laughs> Russ, I can't thank you enough for giving so generously of your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to chat with you and I've no doubt what you've shared is going to help sharpen the communication and hopefully ensure people don't walk past good ideas. Good on you, Holly. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organisation or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback, shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom leave a review for this coffee pod or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom. Thanks for fueling your difference with me.